How you doing, Dad? I'm doing great. Yeah, now let's see. You're in London. I'm in London. Just got back from Paris today, this afternoon. So you were it in Paris a- yesterday. No, I was in Paris today. Okay, and then where are you right before Paris? In Paris, I was all over. I was in Greece, and then before that, I was in um, Copenhagen with you, and it was awesome. And that's where I want to start because me and you took an adventure. You came to London, and then I guess Europe, UK for Scandinavia for two days. <laughs> We're over here for literally two days. I flew out on we- Sunday morning and flew out Wednesday morning. Yeah, yeah. That's, so I guess I guess longer than two days. It was a brutal trip for you, but we um, went to a fantastic restaurant called Noma, which is in Copenhagen. And you want to walk us through it? Just the way you said Copenhagen it made you sound like you're from the Northeast or something. <laughs> and, uh... Well, I'm not. And I have no interest <laughs> in being from there. <laughs> <laughs> no. um, it was pretty amazing. I mean, first we flew into London and we did sort of a... Um, um, a precursor to Noma. Our friend Paulo set up all these uh, Michelin star restaurants that we popped into for lunch and dinner Sunday, Monday, and which was crazy. I mean, who does that? And was, well, yeah. we may come back one day and talk about those, but then we flew to Copenhagen and we went to a pop-up that is connected to yeah. Noma. Come on, oh. jump to Copenhagen. Why do you just recap everything? Go straight to Noma. All right, we land in Copenhagen and we go right to a hamburger shop because even though we're going to Noma that night for dinner, uh, Renee opened up a hamburger shop. And so we went and got basically a Michelin approved burger and fries, which was amazing. And then we went to Noma that night, which if you don't know, might be considered the, the greatest restaurant in the world. It does it have three Michelin stars, Aaron. His three Michelin stars. I want to say he's he's been. I think they've won best restaurant before. Yeah, uh, and I want to say he's he's gotten best chef as well, or highest rated chef as well in the world, which is pretty pretty undeniable. But they decided to shut down in I guess three or four months, the end of 2023. They announced it I guess end of or middle towards the end of 2022 that they were shutting down, and it's been kind of a big deal. So the fact that we were able to get a reservation be able to fly there. I happen to be in London. Talk about being in the right place at the right time. <laughs> like I would not have gotten invited to this trip, but I just happened to be over here. And he, you know, our friend Paulo is like, you're stupid enough to go to Copenhagen on one day's notice. So <laughs> let's do it. Yeah. But you know, you did just happen to be the right place at the right time. You, Paulo loves you. Yes. yes, yes. I love friendship. Uh, yeah, but here's a funny thing is that, our, our friend Paulo worked, I guess, for months trying to get a reservation. And they were like calling, I think, every day just to be irritated to get on the waiting list. And then they get a cancellation. So he texts me or calls me and says, Tuesday night, we have a reservation for you know Noma in Copenhagen. Can you go? And I love the fact that I have the reputation that I will I will fly through a window at any opportunity to do something historic, something life-changing, something that can never be experienced again. And I love having that reputation because it has opened up so many doors for me in my life. Yeah, so I flew to London. I mean, I was in the middle of a really intense season, 17 cities, six countries, and uh, I think six states. 
And Wait, I you had say 17 cities. Yep. I had to fly to 17 cities in the last 30 days. Actually? Actually. Can you name them all? Well, I, can, <laughs> I can name away uh, from LA, uh, Salt Lake, Dallas, Asheville, uh, Panama City, uh, Playa de Carmen, Mexico City, uh, London, Copenhagen. And I can't even remember the rest of those are the ones that come to my mind right now. Chicago. Oh, chi- yeah, Chicago. Uh, how many have we got? 12? We got 10, 11. Yeah, yeah I ran yeah. out of fingers. Oh, yeah. Well, it's because also I had to go to Ojai, and, which is up in. Um, yeah, and, and I guess kind of not Northern California. Santa Barbara or somewhere like that. Yeah, so that's, I, that's I, just, I, was, I put them on my, on my list. It was crazy. So I had to squeeze it in the middle of a lot of stuff. Let's say, let's say a dozen cities. All right. I mean, we already had a dozen. I don't even think you tried that hard. Yeah. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and so my answer was yes. And then I worked out yeah. making it happen. And then, of course, knowing you're in London, getting to see you for two days in London was also incredible. Then flying to Copenhagen together. And I think Rene was, you know, he was a pioneer in. Let's explain. Rene Rizepi is the head chef. He's the head chef, yeah. And I think he pioneered like fermentation and the use of vegetables and and the the whole process of the organic nature of you know um, foraging and kind of bringing things in from the wild. And he's not he's not the only one, but I think he kind of really it's it feels as if from you know an outsider's perspective that he really has pioneered a lot of or or maybe has just like doubled down in investing in kind of the science of foraging and the science yeah. of patient and really the I, development of that. Yeah. Cause I was just working through Will's book, uh, unreasonable hospitality. Yeah. You're, you're saying these, you, you have to explain these people. You're like, ah, oh, Michael Jordan, just Michael. Well, Talk to us. who's Will? Will, Will is a big deal. I had the great privilege of getting to meet and get to know Will. And, um, and so, you know, I've been going was this to before book. Noma right after no before Noma. Okay. I don't know. Oh, I was also no, in Nashville. No. That's another city I was in. Oh, Nashville. you were in Nashville, 13. Yeah, yeah. And so that's where I met Will. And, uh, and, and so I started working through Unreasonable Hospitality. And he talks about Noma and Renee's pioneering work and being influential. And of course, you know, Will is 11 Madison and uh, Park. Is that it? 11 Madison Park? 11 Madison yeah. Park. Yes. Yeah. Also became known maybe one of the greatest restaurants in the world and number yeah. one in the world. Yeah. And, and so he was alluding to different people who inspired him and who, in a sense, pointed the way. So for me, I will do everything I can to experience or see genius. Like that, that for me is like when people say, are you a foodie? Yes, to a degree, but I'm a geniusy. Like if someone says you can go watch Messi play soccer, I'm going to go. Yeah. If, and if, if someone said to me, uh, hey, you know, you, you had a chance to watch whatever Bobby Fischer play chess, I would be there. It, it, it doesn't matter to me what domain it's in. When someone achieves something that is unique, it's, it's a work of genius. It's, there's beauty involved. There's artistry. I want to be there not only just for the privilege of getting to experience it, but to learn. I want to absorb their genius. And uh, into my own soul and walk away being different than I was. And so there was no question. We're going to Noma. Uh, we're going to get there. 
and it's vegetable season. And anybody knows I'm a carnivore, you know, and, uh, yeah, so explain that a little bit. Cause I think, you know, I didn't really know until I read his book, um, or a book that was written on him called hungry, which is, you know, actually it's like top three for me outside of your books. It's one of my top three favorite books. Um, and it's a phenomenal book by Jeff Gordon on Rene Redzepi following him around and kind of his season, you know, Noma had a different, you know, where the burger place was across the street or across the alleyway was where his original restaurant was, um, Noma, but, and then they rebuilt, um, they built a new, a new version and, and a new like house and, and a home for them. But in between those times, he took the whole team and, you know, uh, to, I think Sydney, Australia and did a pop-up and did one in Tulum as well in Mexico. And it was really interesting hearing about that in the book and then to kind of be there in the room. I know I cut you off. Um, they had just come back from Kyoto, from Japan, and they had taken 140 people of their team to experience and basically pop up Noma in Japan and recreate what they do in Copenhagen, but also, you know, adapt and kind of assimilate into the Japanese culture. And so it felt, you know, so we were doing vegetables and it really felt inspired by kind of Japanese culture. And we're in the season where they do, I think they do vegetables, meat, like game. Uh, they do fish, the fish season. And then they have, what's the other, they have a fourth one. What I, I, said. I know fish, game, yeah, and then they have vegetables. I don't know what the other one is. Yeah, and they were in Japan for, I think, two and a half months or something like that. Two and a half months, 140 people for two and a half months. And one, it just shows you the level of commitment to learning. Yes. The, you know, so if you're the best chef in the world, you could have this mindset that you already know more than everyone else. Yeah. And, and yet here you have this person who is a genius who many consider the best in the world. And he goes, takes his entire team to Japan to learn and to learn together, which adds something else to me that he doesn't try to create a, uh, an environment where his staff thinks, He's the source of all learning. Like he takes them somewhere else. And he's not intimidated by the genius of other people. He just absorbs it into his own genius to create something new. And that to me may be the most important lesson coming out of Noma. Genius does not fear genius. It embraces it and is transformed by it. I texted you when I found out that I was going to Noma. When Paulo yes, called yes. me, and Paulo like played it played it off so subtle. I guess I knew maybe a week before we went because I had just landed in London and I had jumped in a car and was meeting a friend for dinner. Or I think, yeah, no, I was going somewhere for dinner. It was kind of late, and because here it stays out. I mean, right now it's seven forty-seven, like it feels like it's two p.m. in the afternoon. The the sun's still out, and I remember being in the Uber and I get a, a call from Paulo, and I'm like, he never calls me. And then he texts me. I was like, hey, can you call me? And I was like, he never texts after he calls. And then I, I call him back and I'm like, hey man, how you doing? What's going on? And he's like, hey, you know, like, you know, I was just kind of thinking, I was just talking to your dad and like, yeah, I didn't realize you're living in London. And he's just playing it off. So chill. So, so chill. And he's like, hey, so basically I got a reservation at Noma. You want to come? And I'm like, yeah, that sounds amazing. I, I guess apparently I responded very chill because he was chill. So I responded chill and, and very relaxed. And, it, and, you know, you also just want to play it cool. Like you belong there, but really I just knew I just didn't. So I was so excited. And then I knew you were with a bunch of people and that you were going to read my text and you were probably just going to get like a little profile or like a little, what is it called? Like the, just the, the first line preview of my text. So I texted you, I pulled it up. I texted you, I'm about to get arrested in London for taking off all my clothes and screaming. We are going to Noma. What? 
No, ma. No, ma. All right. So now I like remember. Eight text long, so everything's in all caps. And I just wanted you to read, I'm about to get arrested in London and be like, oh my gosh, my son is never coming home. Yep. I was in Nashville, actually, with Paulo's wife, Jamie. Yes. And Will, with Will uh, Gerardo from Unreasonable Hospitality. Yes. When I get the call from Paulo, I, I step out of the meeting. He says, you might go to Noma. I'm like, I could light myself on fire. I was just so excited. And I, I think Jamie was shocked that I was that excited about it. Um, but, um, but I was. And so I'm like, I, I'm sitting here meeting 11 Madison Park. I'm getting a phone call saying I'm going to Noma in Copenhagen. Uh, I live an unfair life. Uh, I, I, I love my life. I keep it very private. I try not, I, 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 well, I mean, I try to keep a lot of this. I do. You keep your life private. My man, I was just listening to your wonderful talk, which this talk is phenomenal, by the way. First off, which I'm one? reading your book right now again, 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 again. Yes. I'm reading it backwards now because I, I think it actually you write backwards, which is really interesting. So I started from the last chapter on the, on the train over here, the Eurostar. And you are not a private person. I am a private person. You are a public person. I try to live an understated life because I feel... Uh, the opening of your very beautiful and elegant message is, I get to live this wild life. I just want to share it with you. I do. I've given up. I've given up. I'm just going public with how good my life is, how much I love it. And... Um, and, it, and I'm getting comfortable with it, even though it makes you a little bit uncomfortable. <laughs> you should be comfortable with it, or you should feel you deserve it. I don't deserve it. You deserve it. I did not deserve what, what I got at Noma. I have the menu. Actually, this is crazy that you said that you're, uh, what is it, not a foodie, you're a geniusy. But I think you're a genie. That's what it should be. You're a foodie, you're a genie. But I actually have been reading your book, and I'm using the, the menu from Noma as my... Um, they don't give you a menu. So that's really the unique thing about the restaurant. There's no menu. You walk in, you sit down, and they just start. You eat what they serve you. Ah. Yeah, it's so good. You yeah. eat, you sit, and then you eat what they serve you. But they give you a menu afterwards to save as like a, as like a little token. And so I have the menu, and I've been using it as my bookmark for your book. Because oh, genius deserves a genius bookmark. But you know, but it's interesting because when we got to the hamburger shop – that again, it's the same chef, right? But our friends were all telling them what they wanted on the burger and what they didn't want on the burger. And when I got up there, I said, I want the burger exactly the way it should be experienced. And I and got so, up there and said, I don't like onions. No. And <laughs> she said, thank you. I thought that was an interesting response. Thank you. And then the guys go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll take it like that, too. And I'm like, why would I travel the world to eat the genius of a chef and then tell him how I want that burger cooked and, and, and decorated for me? Like, but maybe this is maybe this is something I need to grow in because you did say that you're like, I want and you're so annoying. You're like flamboyantly, like pretentiously saying I wanted exactly how Chef Renee wants it. Please let him know. I'm like, this is, this is, he not there. He's not there. And I just, I was like, I don't, I want, I don't want onions. Like I want everything else, just no onions. 
And then, you know, Paulo and Todd were like, actually, we wanted exactly how Chef prepares it. Only when they heard me say it, then they they jumped back on the bandwagon with you. And I was like, yeah, no, I still don't like onions. Like, (laughs) tell Chef, I don't like onions. We're good. Fly to Copenhagen, just go to In N Out Burger and get it the way you want. Honestly, it was one of it's it's a restaurant called Popo, Popo. And it's like, I think it's of the people or for the people, for the community. That's what it means. I love that. And it's so, so good. It was one of the best burgers I've ever had in my life. It it really was. But if I could just translate that, it's even like with Mosaic. It's amazing to me how many times people will come to Mosaic from other churches and love Mosaic and then try to tell us how to change to become like the churches they left. And I go, wait a minute, wait a minute. You left that church. Why would you want us to become like that church you left? Then you'll just, we'll just be like that church you left and you'll leave again. And and you know, well, you know, if you could just change this, but keep this and realize, no, it's a culture. And the reason you're experiencing this beautiful culture is a certain values that actually undergird that. And if we changed our values, it would change our culture and it would just become what it was. It's, it's the, it's the whole irony of all these Californians moving to Austin and moving to Nashville you know, all these Democrats moving to Republican states, and then they're going to turn them into Democrat states, and they're going to end up with the states they left, thinking that somehow they could still have that that other experience by changing its culture and values. There's a reason why people leave California, which I love and live in, to those other states. Don't change those other states. If you're going to move there, then recognize that there's a menu, <laughs> and, the, and the menu should be enjoyed. Uh, and, and that to me is one of the beautiful things. Well, I almost, I just want to adjust your statement just a little bit. Okay. I want to just switch it to that. There is no menu, that there is nothing to pick from. There's nothing to remove that you just the need to sit down. You afterwards. The menu is given to you afterwards. Like, afterwards. and that was something that I thought was really beautiful. Cause I get it. We we're talking about the hamburger spot really initially, but now we're kind of switching over to Noma yeah. and back to the space. And I think why it's so important to talk about this is, you know, I, I had this thought I had, this isn't even on the, of the. Rarely do I, we write a roster of things that we want to talk about, like a hit list, but, t- but today we did. But actually, I was writing this on my, in my notes on the way to, um, on the way to London from, from Paris. And what was it? Oh, I wrote this down in the, like different topics that I think we're going to hit in the arena. And I talked about, what's the thing I want to ask you? And maybe not today, you don't have to answer it today, but maybe in the arena when we launch it August 16th, um, that's a little you know advertisement for the new project we're launching. Uh, that we have, I think, a thousand people signed up for right now, which is pretty incredible, and you know, which is it's, it's pretty special. But you really have created you're you're such an identifier of unique language, and within Noma, I thought something was interesting was one the language they used was very specific, but even beyond the language, the ecosystem that the language provided and created by the language they use, right? The ecosystem was very family. You know, and, and everything you hear and see, if you watch that movie, The Menu, or watch, you know, you know a, a chef's table on Netflix, or watch these different documentaries about these, you know, brilliant restaurants like 11 Madison Park, you're kind of made to believe that chefs are tyrannical, that the, the behind the scenes is, is insanity and very heavy. And maybe it is, right? Because when, when anyone's in something that has that level of excellence, you have to have, there is some madness behind it all, right? There's some chaos. But uh, in the moment, they really did a good job of going, you know, this is our family's representation or gift and offering to you as an individual sitting here and giving us four hours. It was four hours of your evening, right? They do one sit seating 
at five and five thirty. So like between five and five thirty, and then it just goes for four hours. You finish like around eight forty five, nine thirty, and it's pretty phenomenal, right? So I, I I don't know. So for you, what was some of the language that you picked up? Well, I thought it's interesting that you're focusing on language because uh, early on in Will's book, uh, Unreasonable Hospitality, he actually talks about one of the things he learned was that cultures actually have a language. And if I go back 25 years to my first book, An Unstoppable Force, I actually have an entire section on how uh, movements and cultures are defined by their language. And one of the things I talk about all the way back in Unstoppable Force is that um, the more you have of something, the more language you have to describe it. And the less you have of something, the less language you have to describe it. Mm-hmm. And the example I use, I'm from El Salvador, so we use the word nieve for ice cream and snow because we don't have a lot of cold things. But if you go, uh, but I remember I interviewed um, a family who were a part of the Inuit Eskimos, and they wrote down for me over 35 different words for snow because they have a lot more of it. And same way with the color green, when you go to places like the Philippines or Indonesia, they have far more colors or words that describe green than you would maybe in Saudi Arabia, which probably only has one word to describe green. And Greenland. Yeah. So when you have um, certain values, you end up having um, an an entire array of words that describe it. uh, And and you don't even know that it's being described. And so, you know, if you have a restaurant that's world-class, um, there's going to be tremendous attention to detail. And, and there may be even like a ruthless commitment to um, the beauty of, the, of those, of excellence. Of the, but like excellence in the, even to the point where the beauty is non-negotiable. Mm. And, and, you know, so w- when we're, when we're receiving the food, when four waiters come and bring four plates at the exact same time, because bringing them one at a time is not acceptable in terms of the rhythm of the experience. So what I would say is the language is more than words. The language is, is, um, is intimately integrated into the process Mm. and you experience that. So when we walked in, whatever 20, 30 chefs were greeting us and they're all warm and loving and friendly and, uh, you just felt like you were being invited into someone's home. You walked down this like kind of long exterior corridor, not corridor, I guess, a kind of runway that's by the river that's next to these greenhouses where, you know, they, they, there's one that's like kind of your waiting greenhouse where, you know, you've checked in, they, let, they leave you there and they serve you like a tea or a drink or something that they've prepared for you. And then they, you know, guide you along this runway and they just kind of say like, you know, go to the door. They don't really take you. They just like let you wander. And then you see their experimental greenhouses where they're working on fermentation and they're, they're, you have different kind of chefs who are almost scientists experimenting with different things. And then you walk through the door and it's like they've waited for you. They're, Rene Rezepi is sitting there dead middle, surrounded by 40, I mean, I think it, was, it had to be 30, 40 chefs yeah. and cooks that are flanking him. And it's welcome, welcome, welcome to Noma. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at him and I'm, to me, I'm going, this guy is kind of the messy of food. He, he is a rock star. He is a savant. He's a genius. He has, you know, dedicated his life to speaking the language of, 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 um, of like the culinary arts. And then to sit down is like, there's an overwhelming sense of there is this effortless excellence. 
where they're so excellent, it's natural, right? Yeah, no, I think that's a, I, I love that phrase, effortless excellence. And I, um, in fact, I think you should, you should build a whole conversation around that, Aaron, because I, I think that's a great observation. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, I, I was thinking about how I've had people on my team at Mosaic where they worked really hard, but every time, in fact, one person in particular, every time there was a crisis or problem, he would run through the auditorium or walk super fast and carry so much stress that the whole room would see him. And he thought he was solving problems, but he was actually creating problems oh. by creating stress and anxiety in the room. I mean, the, the person who in the middle of the crisis just looks like they're floating. You know, they, they're not overwhelmed. They don't seem to be stressed. Uh, they bring an incredible sense of calm and, and, uh, and peace. And I think that's the interesting thing is that here you are in this restaurant whose standards are so high that it would, any reasonable human would say they're unreasonable. And the standards are so high. Yeah. And yet everyone seemed to be having so much fun. And it was so calm and peaceful and warm and inviting and hospitable. And that phrase, what was it? I feel this ex excellence. Excellence. And uh, that is something to aspire toward. You, you brought up the plates, and I, we're spending way too much time on this, but the, the, I think this is natural, so I think this is actually kind of cool. But the, the way that they would set down the plates or the way they would bring you know, uh, the food or they would describe it, it was – it was very worshipful to me and, and not worshipful of the food or worshipful of any specific person, but just the way that it moved in like synchronicity and it wasn't always perfect, but it was intentional and it felt really interesting. And I don't know that you could eat like that every night. Like I, I just don't even know how you operate at that level, you know, cause I was like, I want to crush a burger afterwards. Well, we crushed them before, so that's what saved us. That is, it is what saved us, and it, it was phenomenal. And I, I don't want to belittle the menu because I think it was it was it was like watching Oppenheimer or watching or you know experiencing a painting for the first time. It wasn't for me. It wasn't filling. It was it was like inspiring. I left more hungry, being like, I don't want this to end. I want to continue this journey. I think that was really brilliant. Yeah, I. I, I think the reason this is one, it's a really good conversation is because why go through an experience like this if you don't extract from it the learning and the wisdom and the insights that you can gain from them. And um, yeah, it, it's, I mean, I, I don't even know if I could put it in the category of, of it being perfect, but I love meat and I'm actually glad I was there during the vegetable season because what I wanted the experience was what kind of creativity, what kind of genius can be brought to something that I consider normally mundane? And, and so the way he would present a vegetable, I mean, a soup made of flowers, uh, you know, a mushroom that looked like a work of art, the, the level of an imagination that had to be extricated out of their minds, out of their souls. Hmm. And so I actually think you're right. I think it was a sacred experience because I think whenever a human being aspires toward beauty, it becomes sacred. Mm. And, um, you know, not, not all, all art I would consider sacred. I think there, are, there, there can be powerful art that comes out of hate or anger mm. or depression or despair. And the art is powerful and it's transcendent because it's the human experience. 
But whenever you aspire toward beauty, it becomes sacred. And, and so I do, I, I did feel like I was in like a worshipful or worship experience. Mm. And, uh, and I was forced to experience things that are outside of my comfort zone, outside of my normative. Um, and, and in fact, I, I hate beats. And one of the experiences had beats in it. And you I like remember, legitimately hate beats. I hate beats with every fiber of my being. And I have to admit, I enjoyed that experience. It w- and, and I think some of it is that it's the combination. And by the way, I think this is such an important leadership lesson and, and a creative lesson. It's that um, how do you take something that normally a person um, reacts negatively toward and create such a beautiful experience that they've forgotten what they didn't like because they're enjoying something so much. I think that's, that's true in life. Yeah. Because like someone just asked me on a podcast about like the universe being for you. And, uh, and I said, you know, what's funny is that I've had a lot of tragedy in my life, a lot of hardship in my life. And I've always felt like the universe was leveraged in my direction. I always felt like God was for me. And, and the reason for that is it's perspective. Some people just look at the beats and say, no. <laughs> and rather than going, how do I combine the beats, the negative, the, the tragic, the painful, the disappointment, and how do I create something bigger than the beats? So the beats were not the center. They were just a part of a whole. And I think that's the way it should be with our lives. Yeah, there's pain. Yes, there's disappointment. Yes, there's loss. Yes, there's failure. That's just one ingredient. And that ingredient is going to be necessary to create something incredibly extraordinary. This entree of extraordinary experience. It's really unique. Really, really unique. I think one other thing that really stood out from that experience, I think we could we'll probably come back to this multiple times over the next few weeks. There was a wine that uh, was called SOS. And I, I and the guy would brought it over and I, I, you know, and it was a unique, a unique, a unique wine. Um, and that I think neither one of us drink very much. But they came out and they told us the story uh, about this wine, and it was called SOS. And they said that it was the specific uh, um, grower, a winery in, I think, Spain, that had lost his crop. And so he sent an SOS out to all of his friends in different wineries and different uh, farms asking for whatever they could spare from their, from their crop, give them whatever they had left, and he would do whatever he could with it. And he created this really unique wine out of something that he had never really played with, like this specific, you know, I don't really know enough about wine, but this specific grape that had, you know, had, had been sent to him and he'd never done it. It was like an, a natural, more organic wine, like an orange wine. And then, but I just loved the story behind it because the people around the, all these different farms and wineries around Spain just showed up for him. And we're like, we're not going to let you go bankrupt. We're not going to let you fall apart. We're not, we're going to come here. We're going to answer the SOS call. And I thought it was brilliant that that was a part of the story of the family at Noma going, what we loved about this wine was not only the taste of it, but that it's something that's so unique and so different, but it has this story of, of help and of aid and of perseverance and of resilience and of compassion and redemption and playfulness because the, even like the, the label was really cool and really unique and having had like a little boat and it was really special. And I just thought, uh, how, how cool is it that 
this this farmer would take this risk and almost embarrass himself maybe some people could see that as being embarrassing of reaching out for help or asking people to donate and help him in a in a time of crisis but then for the people to show up and then also for the number one restaurant in the world to go you know what that's that's a part of our story yeah like we're going to show up for other people i love that and to me it connects the human story i've always been convinced that the best food in the world comes out of poverty and that when you have, you know, I mean, the reason I grew up with everything well done is because, you know, growing up, you don't get as good a meat. And so when you're, you know, when you're more impoverished, uh, if you have meat, you have to cook well done to kill the, the bacteria. And, uh, and, but like salsas and spices and flavors are almost always born out of poverty. Because people were taking food and making them way better than they should have been. And so I look at places like Noma and, you know, 11 Madison Park and, and you know, Pujol and all these places. And I think that most of those people have an incredible respect for the origins of food, for the story that is told behind it. And I, I think, you know, what an incredible gift you have to um, to get to explore. How do I make something extraordinary? And then I just bring it home and I go, I don't want to settle. I don't want to just eat. I don't want to just live. I don't want to just experience. I, I want to ask every day, how, how do I take the mundane of life and just add spice to it? How do I add flavor or color or design or beauty to make my life um, inspiring to me and to the people around me. And that's my takeaway is, um, it's not that I got to have a meal at one of the best restaurants in the world is I got a reminder that life is filled with the potential to be beautiful mm. and sacred and mm. imaginative and creative. And it's up to me to be the chef of mm. my life. Mm. I love it. I, I really want to talk about where you left me. Because you left me in Copenhagen, you left you left me in Copenhagen. <laughs> you went to Chicago, and mm-hmm. you had this unique opportunity to go and uh, and uh, go speak at an incredible conference. And would you mind talking to us about that for a little bit? I went from Copenhagen um, to Chicago via Munich, and I landed um, on Wednesday night. And on Thursday morning, I spoke at the Global Leadership Summit, and outside of Chicago, uh, seven thousand people in the auditorium, one hundred and I don't know, 100, 150,000 people uh, around the world on live stream and about 350,000 who will end up being all the registrants um, around the world. So it's a, a really um, a special uh, opportunity. And they asked me specifically to, to speak on my, um, my new book, MindShift. And, uh, but they only gave me 15 minutes. And so I had to really be precise and I had to... Um, cut away any excess and have this uh, uh, incredible moment with everyone there. And ironically, you know, what do you do right before you speak to, you know, 100,000 plus people? Uh, I said two words to myself. And, and I think we've talked about this before about having like positive trigger words. And, yeah. you know, and um, sometimes I say to myself, this matters. And, you know, sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll make another statement to myself. But this time I just told myself, have fun. And, uh, and maybe that I, I just came from Noma and, uh, and 
as a speaker, I, I want to be the guy who turns flowers in the soup. I do, you know, and, and, and frankly, as I, I listened to all the different speakers, I, uh, I thought to myself, wow, I feel like I'm serving Chinese food in an Italian restaurant. <laughs> you know? and, Why do you feel that way? Uh, because most of the speakers are really coming from a um, organizational science perspective. And, and I realized that most of the learning is how to, how to be successful in the business world. And, and, and so it, if you want to learn how to become a CEO or learn how to be an executive uh, on a management, you know, level at a company, they're, they're like that rhythm. That's like, that's the space. And I'm really the opposite, you know, very, very different. And um, I'm, I'm, I think I speak much more to the, to the entrepreneur, to the pioneer, to the founder, to the innovator who is trying to create something new, something unique as an outlier. No, 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 this is an important metaphor. If everyone's making Italian food and you're making Italian food, then they can compare your Italian food to everyone else's Italian food. But if everyone's making Italian food and you make Chinese, now you're unique. They can't even compare you. You're just different. And I, I think that to me is what is um, exciting. And when I said to myself, have fun, what I was saying is just be yourself, be unique, you know, uh, make Kung Pao chicken while everyone else is having pasta. Like, you, you know, both the Chinese and the Italians use pasta, but they imagine pasta completely differently. And that to me is the exciting thing about communication, about leadership, about like, you know, discovering your life and your direction is don't try to be the best in someone else's category. You know, be the most extraordinary and unique in the category of you. And, and so when I spoke at the Global Summit, I knew like it's a lot of business people. I knew it's a lot of executives. But I figured they, I mean, they had James Clear speaking, Atomic Habits. Uh, he's, he's got the most powerful book in the business world to date. And you know, everyone else is number two in comparison to book sales around the world. And so, I mean, I'm going to hear James Clear talk about habits, right? You know, and, and he was so extra extraordinary. They had the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks, Condoleezza Rice speaking. I mean, these people are the best of the best. Yeah, it's a and, serious, it's a serious and, conference. Yes, it's a serious conference. And so the great mistake I could make is, oh my gosh, I got to out James Clear, James Clear. I got I got to... Atomic Habits Plus, or, you know, I, I've got to find some way to, you know, to, to compete with Condoleezza Rice or whoever it may be. And, and that puts you in the worst space. Like the, the best space to be in is I'm here to bring my unique version of me and the insights I have and let, let, let it uh, impact whoever it's supposed to impact. And I got a call yesterday from someone letting me know, and, you know, multi-billion dollar world. And they gave, left me a message and I talked to them today. And they said, hey, we want you to know we're in our 60s. Your message rocked us. Our daughter is 28 and it shook her life. Our daughter is not that open to faith. And it really impacted her. And on top of that, our daughter went to culinary school. So the moment you said Noma, she was in. She said, I respect anyone who's willing to travel across the world to go to Noma. What are the chances that that happens? And, and I just, I knew that you, everyone has a certain frequency. 
And what I want to do is, in a sense, send out that frequency that is uniquely me and know it'll connect to the right people in the right places. Okay, real quick, talking about clips, I want to go in and talk about Chicago more because I think this is one of the, like I was explaining this because I, I actually flew over to, to Greece and, and hung out. Um, and, you, you know, I was talking about you speaking at this business conference because it was, I think I want to say you were speaking, it would have been like really early in the morning there or really late at night. And and when all the photos came out and Austin was sending me photos of you speaking live and, you know, Lisa was sending me photos and the whole team that was there was sending me photos, which I thought was so cool. I was, I had a lot of FOMO. Obviously I was having a great experience of my own, but it, it just, if, you know, we do so much of this life together, missing a moment. It feels like I miss my, my son's soccer game. And, and it was just one of those epic moments. And they were like, okay, like, this is crazy. Like he looks so cool. This is, you know, what is this conference? And, and then I showed them the room and they were like, oh my gosh, it's massive. Like how many people are there? And I was like, well, it doesn't matter about how many people are there. How many people are watching this around the world? It's a hundred thousand people that are tuning in. This is a massive event. This is the number one leadership event in the US, maybe the world. It's phenomenal. It's massive. It's big. People yeah. beg to be on this platform. And I was like, and then he just ate at Noma casually last night and woke up in the morning and spoke there and and did it like it's nothing. And I, I commented on your photo of it. I said, you know, there's a moment when I was when I was growing up when we went to Italy and we went to the Cinque Terre and the five little towns that are like, you know, carved into these rocks on the rock, the cliff sides of, 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 you know, the Western coast of Italy. And, you know, I was a young kid and you like stopped at one point when we were walking, you know, along this, this path, along this cliff. And you were like, guys, wait. And you called us back and there's this moment and you, you, you pointed out this flower and you were like, guys, this flower is growing out of the side of, of the cliff. And I think mom gave you a hard time being like, I knew you were going to talk about the flower. I knew it. When I walked by the flower, I knew you were going to point it out because that's who you are. You, you find whether it's Chinese food or it's Noma or it's, you know, uh, create in the mind shift and creating kind of your own experience. You've always seen the world in a unique way and you've always found, you've always made the little moments big and the big moments little. And I commented that on your thing. And I said, find the flowers on the side of mountains. And you have a unique ability to make the most mundane things profound. And, you know, you may call it Chinese food or, 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 you know, whatever it is. But for me, it's really simple. You look at life and you get inspired. And when you're uninspired, you go live life. And so, mm -hmm. and maybe that's the thing that we need to take away from this episode is that you know, no matter what city you're in, because I'm, I'm over here going like I've, I'm having culture shock. Like I just, my stomach is wrecked from how much different food I've had. Like I, I thought I, you know, we did 50, I want to say we did 12 Michelin stars in four, three days. That was an experience I've never had before in my life. I'm not, I'm bragging to myself. Like that's just, that was like a once in a lifetime experience for me. And that was just wonderful. But if I, don't eat. I was like, if I don't eat a salad and a burger, I'm going to die. My like I need something like, I need like boring. I need like a white fish and like some potatoes. Like I just needed something so boring. So like, how do you live your life with such excitement and, 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 and not just fall apart on the inside, right? Like, how do you, how do you, how do you have that balance? And I, I, I want to bring up your book, but we're running out of time. We have like eight minutes left. So I guess what we'll leave it is leave it at is you, you write in MindShift in one of the last chapters, you talk about, um, you talk about there are certain things you can't keep even in moderation. Oh no, you talk about balance. 
there is no balance there. Everything is leveraged in a singular direction. And you talk about um, the best lives, the best lived lives are radically skewed. That the most successful people, the most passionate people, the most artistic people live these really unbalanced lives. And how have you navigated that? I think because you know I'm looking at the list of cities that you've been in the last 17 days or whatever, or last two weeks or whatever it may be. How do you manage living an unbalanced life? Yeah, I think that for me, it's answered in chapter one or chapter, you know, yeah, chapter one where it says it's I all knew about, you wrote this book backwards. <laughs> and uh, where it begins by saying it's all about people. Yes. That the way you balance it out, the way you don't self-destruct, the way you live this life of adventures, you realize life is only worth living with people and that you love and that love you. And that that's, that has to become your, your anchor or your compass. And it goes back to when I knew I was going to marry your mom. I was in Laguna Beach overlooking the cliffs, looking down at the ocean. I thought this may be the most beautiful place I've ever seen. And at that moment, I realized, wow, this is a memory I'm going to have, but I'm not going to be able to share it with anyone. Mm. And that moment, I decided I'm going to go back. I'm going to ask him to marry me so that we can have shared memories together. Mm. and uh, I'm all about shared memories. And I think, you know, that that's why I've taken you all over the world. Mm. That's why I love taking your sister. That's why I, and that's, that's why I do life. That's why we invite Austin to join us. It's because yeah. it doesn't just work for us. We have shared memories of life yeah. together. And, um, there's no one who comes in proximity to me that doesn't step into shared memories together. Mm. And, uh, cause for me, it really is all about people. It's, it's a, life is an adventure. And, uh, but it, it's, it only has texture when there are people who matter in your life. And I think that's the key. Mm. There's so much left on the table here. And I really am mad that you have another podcast that you double stacked us. <laughs> How rude. Well, you. it's because I have a book coming out called my shift and I have to get on podcasts and yes. I have, and we have a community coming out called the arena and we have to tell the world about it. So yes, our podcast matters, but right now I have people all over the world asking me to join their podcast. So I can talk about MindShift, I can talk about the arena. So I'm gonna go ahead and tap out of ours and tap into theirs, sorry. Okay, well we have five more minutes. So I'm gonna plug a few more things. First off, I wanna just congratulate, I wanna highlight something because I, I, we're a team, the three of us. And for one, we're pushing, we're, we're not pushing, but we're talking about your book. Mind shift. It doesn't take a genius to think like one, but it does take an idiot to not buy the book. So let's, let's, that's the title I want to add. If you're listening to this, you better buy the book. <laughs> buy the book, dummy. Sorry. Um, or we could put it like this <laughs> if you gain value from everything that we pour into your life, yes. And um, I have to do two things. Uh, one, invest in yourself by picking up the book and reading it because I've put it in such short form, the basic structures that will really help you for success. But more than that, would you help us get the word out? Um, I would love to see this book as a, like a Wall Street bestseller and uh, because it puts it, the book business space incredible or even New York Times bestseller. And I, can't, I cannot do that by myself. Uh, I need you. And I need everyone who listens to this podcast uh, to be really, really engaged, to buy the book, to buy it for friends, to get friends, to buy it, to get the word out. This is, if, if those things happen, if I make the Wall Street or the New York Times, it'll happen because 
everyone who listens to our podcast, everyone who's a part of our community decided to make that happen. It's not something I can do alone. If we make the New York Times bestseller, I will run naked in the streets. I will go to jail. I will end up in prison. I will do it. I will do it. You will not do well in prison. You're too I will pretty. not do well in prison. I'm too pretty for prison. Let's just be real. I'm just not, I'd be like, hello, sir. <laughs> so How did you get not, here? Let's not do that. We, we, we're not do that. That's not a commitment. That was a I'm threat. joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. That was all, that's all sarcasm. That's a part of the frequencies. No, but I want to plug, I want to plug a few things here real quick. Um, first off, Austin's doing such a, Austin leads our, you know, is a part of our team and he, a couple of the videos that he's edited of your content, dad, uh, has, have hit million, uh, the million view markers. That's and amazing. The first one that happened was like, a, like maybe two weeks ago. Was it last two weeks ago? Three and I was like, ago. okay, like one, one time is like the reflection of the last two months of work. Like you have been grinding on clips, pushing clips to TikTok, Instagram, you know, generating volume, um, and, and getting the word out and getting your voice out, dad. But then we hit it twice. We hit, we broke the 1 million, uh, view marker, which is a big deal because you know, you're following on Instagram is one, you know, it was at the time it was 170 or something. Mm -hmm. So it's going 10 and now it's 192 or something. And not that, not that it's about numbers, but I think it's a really big deal. So I want to applaud you Austin. That was sick. Well, all those numbers represent people. They do. And impacted by a framework. Um, and so that's very exciting. And I love my most, my most interesting stat. I think the, the stat that always interests me the most, is not how many people view it, it's how many people share it, mm -hmm. you know, who actually send it and, and get it out to the world. And that's like always really interesting to me. And then uh, we have the arena launching August 16th. And I'm very excited. I'm flying back from London to be with you guys. So we can start really um, getting locking in for this launch. And I cannot wait. My time here is up. I'm coming back home. Mm. And now we're going to launch the arena and change the world. I'm very excited. And then last thing, we have one minute left. If you have, if you, if you've ever, if you've never listened to a talk of yours, uh, dad, if any of the, if anybody who's listening has never listened to one of your talks, which I, I, I couldn't imagine hap has happened, but you should check it out. And I want to link it in the bio or in the, the description of this episode, but your message epiphany that you, that you gave two weeks ago at Mosaic is a phenomenal message. I listened to it today after my phone call with Austin and it really is, it is something special. And something unique. And I think it, it you, you called me after and you're like, hey, I think I actually gave like a conference level message. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I listened to it and I was like, oh, no. Like, I think it was actually like a once in a lifetime message. And yeah. thank you for it. It's really about how to have new ideas. How to have new ideas. But really, the way you open that talk is phenomenal. Talking about AI and having aha moments and be able to think generatively and creatively. Um, it's brilliant. So if you haven't, check out that message. Uh, if you haven't pre-ordered pre -ordered the MindShift book, if you haven't joined the waiting list for the arena, um, go to earlmcmanus.com and join the waiting list. Uh, you obviously, we just want to thank you guys for listening, for watching, for being a part of this podcast and just giving us your effortless excellence um, and your continued commitment. We're really grateful for you. You are, you are our family and we will see you hopefully next week when I'm back in LA. That's the end of the podcast. Is that cool? All right. Hey, can't wait to see you back in LA. Austin, thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you for doing all that work in the videos. Absolutely. Dad, and, thank uh, you for speaking. <laughs> thank you all for right. giving us everything. Absolutely. All right. Love you guys. Bye. Take care. Bye. Bye.